We want to be our best, feel our best and live our best. But achieving our best isn't as cut and dry as do fitness, eat good, get results, happy. To find joy, good health, balance and contentment, we need to show valour. This is valour. Valour is courage. Courage to face challenges, to endure, to struggle, to be exposed to all of your vulnerabilities and to face it all without any certainty of the outcome. On the Valor Podcast, we share the methods, strategies, and ideas that can help us all achieve our very best. This is Valor. Radio, we're back. This week, we've got Jesse Lewis. He is a super cool dude. Um, started with us a couple of years ago, um, sort of on the tail end of a football season that we played together. Um, but this bloke, yeah, he does it all. Plays football goes to the gym, he's a school teacher, not only a school teacher, he's a year-level coordinator at a high school. He can play a guitar and has a good set of lungs on him too. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have him play for us at, at an event or two as well. And uh, yeah, this guy, yeah, he's got all the skills. Um, he's a recent dad as well with a new bub. So yeah, he's doing a lot in his mid-twenties, um, but he's he's also got a ton of, of wisdom and thoughts and ideas to share, heaps of empathy, and that's what we're going to sort of talk about today. He shares a lot of his um, lessons and experiences of all through his life, growing up with ADHD, tells his story of sort of childhood and, and high school, uh, what sort of it's like to be a kid with ADHD in the 90s and 2000s, and, and how he was, you know more so, I guess, dealt with rather than, um, you know, someone coming to him from from a side of empathy and wanting to understand why he see things, sees things his way and things like that. And it's, it was really quite an interesting um, viewpoint. I remember myself growing up as a kid in the 90s and 2000s and pretty much labelled any kid with ADHD as, as a bad kid because that's what the teachers did, that's what the parents did. They were just a bad kid. Uh, and anyone that has a child with ADHD or any other sort of behavioural or learning um, issues knows that you know deep down there are often quite sweet sweet kids that are just a little misunderstood or just see the world differently so we chat about that and jesse shares a lot of his um tools and ideas on how to help those children develop and grow and and excel in things like school and sport um it's really fantastic i think the education's getting there um on how to help these guys and girls um, but it's just it's very slow and the lessons that jesse shares are great i think it'd be super valuable for teachers super valuable for parents of of kids with you know adhd um autism spectrum any form of you know difficulty that they you know find troubling through school through sport through things like that um some of the tools and things that he uses are fantastic so that's the majority of the chat it's a wicked one here we go enjoy jesse lewis this is Bella. Jesse, how are you? Good, how are you? Thanks for coming on. Um, so, yeah, I'm really excited to have you on this chat. We sort of organised it just the other day at the track. Yep. Doing our lockdown sessions. Um, but, yeah, we. I wanted to get you on because, um, yeah, you've got some interesting stuff to talk about. Well, I find it really interesting. Um, you're a, a school teacher just down the road. Yep. Cranny. Which yep. I'm sure has a good rep as character building. <laughs> just a typical uh, low to moderate socioeconomic government school. I'd say pretty low. Pretty low. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a lot of private schools surrounding yeah. Cranny, so yeah, this we, is. We seem to be um, 
we get a lot of students from from central Cranbourne, so there's a lot more schools on the outer suburbs that are getting the the um people that are buying houses in the estates. So yeah, we get the 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 true OG true, cranny kids. Yeah, the the me. Yeah, you, you went to Cranny as well, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, before we get into it, yeah. So, Jesse Lewis, you're a school teacher. How old are you? 28. 28. And you're a, a coordinator now as well. Is that yes. Right? Yeah. Yep. Amazing. Um, but first, before we get into all that, I'll talk about how we first sort of met before you started at the gym. And then we're going to get into all sorts of stuff. I think the, like your views and stuff on teaching and understanding kids from a sort of getting on, sort of putting yourself in their shoes and seeing them from that side of empathy and stuff is really awesome. Especially in a year or the last two years where we've done lots of remote learning and stuff like that. A lot yeah. of parents are sort of in their kids' shoes a bit more and one sort of like they're getting to understand how tough it can be for them and the other side kind of getting sick of them <laughs> or, yeah, or finding it challenging to get them to do their work when they're a bit flat and maybe not having uh, the skills or the communication skills. I've been very grateful that um, whilst teaching online has been challenging that I haven't had you know kids of my own. Yeah, yeah. I feel very, um, yeah. Got a lot of, I guess, a lot more respect for for parents, especially teachers who had kids at home and they're having to teach online and you know worry about their kids. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, hard. So I want to get into that stuff. So there should be some good stuff today that'll help parents. Um, one with their kids doing remote learning, even with their kids when they're back at school, even just with how they see and perceive um, their children. You know, especially if they're going through hard times or they're maybe sometimes labeled the bad kid or the naughty kid or the yeah. you know the kid the anxious kid and things like that and I don't think we often have the tools for how to help those kids and I think especially when we were kids and the generations before that saw that in such a different way it was yeah, a, definitely. a little more disciplinary and authoritarian back in the day and things had changed a lot for the better yeah um but still our parents and parents parents and that I don't know if they're quite up to speed yet and um, I think we're in that weird transition phase where we sort of are all aware of, of what we should and shouldn't be doing, but we're still very much ingrained in old old habits. It's that knowledge of yeah. how, like yeah. how so do we, we, know, we... We know that we should be doing things probably different to what, what we once did, but but how we do it, yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, so before all that, we met uh, when I started playing down at Devon Meadows Footy Club. Um, I just, out of the blue, just... I don't know if you remember it. I just rocked up and they're like, "Here's Stu. He's playing on your team today." Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> I do remember that. Um, yeah, so we met through that and just got along really well. Uh, I think we just got a lot of common interest in whether it's football or you know teaching education, a lot of those sorts of stuff. And yep. towards the end of the season, you joined the gym. Um, and now, through a, a bunch of other circumstances, you're probably finding yourself far more into the gym than you are footy. Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. So found that out pretty quickly. Actually. Yeah, what is it about about training here that you love so much? Um, I think lots to do with the sort of person I am. I need. I'm always on the go, always needing to move. Um, and footy is only what six months of the year, um, and then I find myself sort of you know struggling to fill my time over over the warmer months. We used to call um, it fat season when well, a friend of mine who was actually a gun back in juniors. As soon as it finished, he'd just call it fat season, and that was the season he just got lazy. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely don't don't cope well, sort of not doing much, especially you know those times where I am have been quite unmotivated and not really done much physical stuff. So the gym's given me yeah pretty good excuse to um, stay uh, healthy all year round or somewhat healthy, um, and just yeah, I think the nature of how how different CrossFit is and it's different challenges and it makes me think and it's 
not just going to a gym and running on a treadmill and lifting weights for two hours. It's yeah, there seems to be a bit more purpose, which I has probably kept me around. So I'm very yeah. surprised because I I joined a gym when I was 17 and hated it with a passion and did it for about three weeks and then paid a membership for the rest of the year and didn't go and then never joined again and said I never would I'll just go for runs and stuff and then yeah glad I joined joined you because it does give you a bit more of a reason to show up yeah it's a, it's a little bit more mentally stimulating I guess hey having some targets and some things yeah to... yeah no matter what like you feel like you nail one particular thing and then there's another thing to you know that you haven't quite got or there's always that improvement factor um, and then the people obviously make it a whole lot better. There's made some really good friends here, which has been been awesome. So yeah, yeah. Um, I find that with like anything, like we always like the idea of just cruising through something, probably because it's easy. But then you start cruising through th- something, and you realise you hate cruising through something. So then you have to find something that's like a little bit mentally stimulating or challenging. Yeah, which yeah, is like- harder. Which is what kind of maybe leads us away from doing it. But then you go away from doing it, and then you get bored. It's like this, like back and forth, yeah. Until you find something you love, definitely. So, um, yeah. And the other side of it, you know, me having ADHD as well, like it's yeah, seems to be pretty pretty good for that. Um, yeah, definitely a good outlet. I know my partner would be, uh, yeah, she'd be struggling if I wasn't doing something <laughs> physical all year round. Um, she definitely notices when I've been sitting at home and not doing much. So, yeah. What? So tell us about ADHD. What? Uh, I don't know. People, when they're sort of getting into adulthood a bit more, it's not really talked about as much. You know, you, you don't really see the signs as much as you do in a child and a teenager. Yeah, so um, it's really only the last few years where um, the research has gone into it with, with adults. Uh, the old sort of mentality was that you would have it as a kid and then, it, you'd, you know, the symptoms would go away and, and you sort of just... Um, yeah, be able to sort of live without, I guess, the challenges, but we now know that that's not the case. Um, the symptoms change or, or the uh, the way it affects you changes as you get older. Um, so what's the difference? So if I go from like childhood, <coughs> teenage to adulthood, like um, for those so, that, you know, some people experience ADHD quite well. Some of us think we have a lot of knowledge about it, but we probably don't. So yeah. Yeah. Us. So I don't know heaps about it, but you know, being a teacher, I suppose I've done some PDs on it and then having it myself. But um, as as a kid, it, it obviously can come out in different ways. There's there's sort of a couple of different types of it. There's the um, where again, I don't not not perfect understanding of it, but uh, there's the attention side of it where where sort of in in kids they struggle to stay on task at school for example or maintain attention on on tasks for a long time um and then on the flip side of that there's there's kids that can hyper focus on a task um where they pretty much block out everything there's no peripheral at all they're just hyper focused on that one thing and that was definitely me as a kid I was either not interested or or fully invested um which is a lot a lot now as well um and then there's the hyperactivity side of it as well but um what they think um is happening in the brain with people with ADHD is that, um, you know, a neurotypical person's, uh, you know, their, their dopamine levels are firing like they should be and therefore, you know, you're sort of getting that, you know, that, or, or I don't want to say reward, but that mini sort of um, validation of the task you're doing, even if it is a bit boring. Um, but with people with ADHD, um, they're not getting that and so they're constantly looking for other stimuli in their environments to 
basically feed that that part that they're not getting it's like so they think maybe it's a dopamine um inefficiency which goes on to the medication which is essentially it's an amphetamines that they use so why would you give us a kid who's hyperactive amphetamines it seems counterintuitive but what they do is they help um send dopamine at a normal level in a kid with adhd which is why you know you give it to a kid without adhd and it can have some interesting side effects but with with adhd it sort of helps them you know just regulate um, their dopamine levels better. Well, that's what they think is happening anyway, and therefore they can um, focus on things for longer and do things what what normal neurotypical kids kids are generally able to do. And so that definitely happened to me as a kid, and it's definitely still happening to me as an as an adult. Which is why CrossFit probably feeds that um, feeds in that pretty well for me because it is so different. It's always stimulating. It's always engaging. Whether you're talking, you know, bantering with someone or you you know you're focused on the exercise. I feel like whatever's happening, it's definitely works for my brain. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. What happens to you when you're not as stimulated now? Say like you weren't doing. You were just doing footy for six months and then. Um. So footy. Yeah. Footy's good. Like I, I get. I, I feel like I've always been a better trainer than player. Um, because I just get so much out of just, you know, doing the drills and I don't know. Yeah. I just always, always like training, um, which is a shame, you know, you train hard, play well, not really for me, <laughs> play <laughs> mediocre. Um, but yeah, so that, that's really good. But I definitely notice over the off season, you know, I spend a whole lot more time at home, probably scrolling on my phone and, and, you know, I, I can't concentrate on TV shows and things like that. Like, I really struggle to sit through things, um, especially when I've not been keeping up with healthy habits. Um, I had a, you know, I think I'm getting better at it, but, you know, when I when I have conversations with people, especially when I was younger, I was more interested in what I had to say rather than what they had to say, and I was always looking to butt in. And um, it wasn't for bad reasons. Like, I don't think, like, I was there to try and be a know-it-all or, or you know, dominate the conversation. I was just so invested in, in you know, talking, um, which, uh, yeah, again, is not uncommon for people with ADHD, and it's still, you know, a challenge now. Um, but, yeah, got gotten better at it, I think, and... A little bit more mindful of you know shut up and let the other person talk and um and listen to what they're saying and don't don't just look to respond you know look to take it in and um yeah so and yeah that that at work is is really interesting so it suits me well as a teacher because i sort of you know i'm you know the the authority figure in the room and i'm dominating the discussion which is a good thing because I can talk well, but, you know, I still, you know, always mindful that it's not about me, it's about the kids. But then, you know, still, again, having challenges in um, in the staff room and, and listening to teachers. Again, I've gotten better at it, but, yeah, I can remember my first year pretty well. I probably would have rubbed people up the wrong way and come across as this arrogant little know-it-all. Um, yeah, and then oh, meetings are the worst. Like, I, I physically cannot do meetings. Like, I sit there and, and it's obviously being mentally drained from the day and then having to go into a meeting and, and talk about things that, um, yeah, are quite boring. Like it, for me, it's, it's, I mean, I know not, no one likes meetings or sitting through boring things like that, but for me, it's, it's nearly torture. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think meetings, they've got to be to the point. It's when meetings sort of veer off into like conversations or they're drawn out and then a discussion that's, not really necessary happens and that makes the meeting longer and that's when people start to fade and I imagine for, for you or anyone else with ADHD that'd be yeah 10 times yeah definitely um, but what like what's 
the the benefit of that is I feel like I'm pretty to the point when it comes to communicating with people about you know obviously not not just you know talking or bantering that sort of thing but when I have to make my point I think I'm pretty good at doing that because I just you know it does my head in when people you know go on those tangents so when I have to you know have discussions with staff at work or or whatever it might be like I feel like I'm pretty good at just going let's just let's get to the point let's just get it done yeah Yeah, okay so we'll go back so you're a teacher now and you're a coordinator now but you'd grown up as a kid in the 90s and 2000s with ADHD, I know my experience with kids with ADHD in the 90s and 2000s, um, they were often labelled as like the bad kid, the naughty kid, the nuisance, the the little shit. Like teachers always had this sort of attitude that they really weren't going anywhere unless they found like, oh, I don't know. If Often sometimes a lot of kids with ADHD, some kids would be really good at charming the teachers in, in particular ways and, and then all of a sudden I'd find that the, that one particular child who charmed the teacher was all of a sudden, oh, he's the prodigy ADHD kid. He's, and and it, to me, it just looked like the teachers didn't have enough knowledge and understanding of kids that have ADHD or other related kind of struggles. Didn't really understand them that well. Yeah, um, it's, still, it's still a lot a case, the case these days. Like we still unfortunately have quite... Um, old school processes and systems in place um and so even though there is you know there are more teachers that understand it are a lot more accommodating um the, the, unfortunately the processes are still very behind i think to how we really support them and a lot of it now is sort of oh this is what we should be doing and then that's like a really superficial thing they put in place and then that's just a box to tick to say like oh well we're trying type thing but we're not really so could do a bit more yeah so was it like for you say whether primary, high school, whatever. What was you like growing up in school? Were you the kid that they thought was going to um, coordinate it? No, know? absolutely not. <laughs> like going back to Cranbourne with some of my old teachers, like the, yeah, they they have to double take. Like, um, yeah, I, I was primary school was interesting. Um, I was very impulsive. I wouldn't say I deliberately went out of the way to be naughty, but I was extremely impulsive. So I would. I would do the stupid thing and then wonder why I did the stupid thing and find myself in trouble and then, you know, get yelled at by, you know, the teachers and then get yelled at by the assistant principal and then go home and get yelled at by my parents and um, feel pretty crappy about myself. Like, I do remember that. That probably did have quite a big effect on me growing up. Um, and then, the system, you know, the cycle repeats, really. So, um, always in trouble for, for doing impulsive things and never actually addressing the reasons as to why I was so impulsive. Um, and then high school, um, high school was a lot more fun but for the wrong reasons um I think I just for whatever reason year seven year eight I um yeah really really kicked off yeah year seven I really kicked off and I just sort of lost all fear of consequences um the worst they were going to do was suspend me and tell my mum and my mum was going to tell me not to do it again and I was probably going to do it again so there wasn't really that fear of um you know what what could happen and I also knew that I wasn't doing anything like you know criminal I wasn't I wasn't fighting I wasn't breaking I broke a few things but I wasn't going around (laughs) damaging things and being that really destructive child I was just extremely impulsive um you know inappropriate crass um you know would want to push you know my classmates and my teachers buttons and it goes back to the ADHD thing I'm looking for that that you know that stimuli I'm looking for um that excitement that I'm not getting um through just doing boring work really um and so and then it sort of just escalated and escalated and I guess I think back to my coordinators at the time who tried to manage and control me um 
and I sort of thought of it as, as a bit of a game, like, you know, go for it, try your best, and we'll see who comes, who wins at the end of the year. And um, How would they try and manage and control you? Um, try and put me on a very tight leash. Um, halfway through year seven, I got moved out of my class with my friends into the coordinator's class, so he could keep a closer eye on me. Um, didn't work. I was good in his class because he was so strict and just, you know, old school. And he'd, you know, he'd stand over you and give you a big spray. Tell me, like, what, at that age, if you can remember, like, how did you feel about that, knowing that you've been moved into the coordinator's classroom? Um, I was pretty so frustrated, yeah. I was definitely, I, was, I, I remember thinking, um, look, I understand I haven't been great, but, I've, you know, I, I don't think I've been that bad. Um, a lot of the issues was just I was so distracting to my classmates. Again, it wasn't just you know bullying or or destructive or that that sort of that sort it's of attention thing. seeking or yeah, like it was, it was attention seeking 100% so I was the cl- trying to be the class clown and that sort of thing so they moved me in his class felt very frustrated and and, and I remember straight away my my decision wasn't oh well you know I'll be good now my decision was well you you've moved me so I'm not going to be any better I'm probably going to be worse um and he actually you know had when they had the parent meeting with my mum um you know she he said to my mum you know he will conform and mum said, well, good luck now, you've you've done it now. So, um, And, yeah, for the rest of the year, I was, as I said, I was okay in his class, um, but every other class, I, you know, I really escalated. Um, you know, dumb things like I'd go into, you know, the back room and let off the fire extinguisher and, um, you know, climb through windows and um, really silly behaviour. Um, I got suspended for going into the drama room and dressing up and doing the pussycat doll dance on the chair and... <laughs> Just, yeah, stuff that like that. Um, year nine, they had this really uh, dumb program where they had 50 kids in one class with two teachers. And, of course, they put me back with all my friends, which was not a good decision. And year nine, I always describe it, it was the most fun I'd ever had, but definitely didn't hand in a shred of work and could have, you know, gone from year eight to year 10. No worries. Um, and then year 10 was a bit of a transition year for me, so... The classes I didn't like, I didn't do. I'd just sit there and do nothing. Um, the classes that I did like, like maths and science, um, yeah, I worked really hard in and did really well at. So I think um, there probably isn't a lot of uh, kids in my situation where I guess I kind of had, had some academic ability that, that got me through. Um, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't have lasted. I wouldn't have gotten through year 10. So. Yeah, like the academic ability of the ones that the teachers approve of. So maths and science, which are the ones that... From an academic's eyes, yeah, or a teacher's eyes, point, it's like, yeah. well, yeah. whereas usually it's like, oh, the ADD kids, they just go and do woodwork. Yeah. Whereas they're like, oh, look at this kid, he's doing maths and science. Like, yeah, the prestigious subjects. Yeah, so. yeah, they, these make us look good. So yeah, so that go. was, um, yeah, so that was interesting. Um, it was a bizarre conversation in the staff room, apparently, with my maths teacher and, and my PE teacher. Because um, the maths teacher said, you know, Jesse's great, he does his work, he's, you know, 80, 90%, whatever. And then the PE teacher had a very different, um, <laughs> yeah, very different uh, view on me. Um, I feel very sorry for him. He had me for three years straight and it was, it I gave him hell. Like, yeah, it was not good. Um, yeah, so a lot of it, like, I think back, how do I look back at it? Like, I, I laugh about it because, it, of course, it's funny. We all like to think about, you know, how immature and naughty we were at school. But then a lot of it is as a teacher now, like no one picked up that something might've been going on. Like not one teacher pulled me aside and said, you know, what's going on or, you know, cause you know, without getting into it, like it also coincided year seven, year eight's when my parents, you know, split up. So it all 
just yeah it was like a, a time bomb really um so i think what what's different now and what what i do differently is um i you know keep there's a function to the behavior why is the student doing what they're doing um and i sort of i like to get get to that as quick as i can and and how i get to that is i sort of build a really good relationship with the kids and build their trust um and then yeah very quickly you work out you know thing, things might not be great at home or there might be something underlying or you know that there's a, a range of things that, that are going on um and once you get to that root root cause or, or the root causes that's when you can start putting supports in place and and giving them a much better experience at school um which again I'm very grateful to Cranbourne because I've taught at another school where I you know I really reflected on had I been a student at that school, um, would I have lasted? And absolutely not. They would have uh, very quickly shipped me off, um, probably to TAFE. Um, whereas Cranbourne, you know, through all how how difficult I made life for the teachers and coordinators, they definitely gave me that chance to get through. And I passed Year Twelve and um, did quite well. Um, again, a lot of teachers were just absolutely shocked at the fact that I was in. Year 11 and 12 doing, you know, specialist maths, methods, chemistry, physics and English. They all just couldn't, like, just couldn't believe it. Like, they just, it was such a, um, yeah, they, they just had no idea. Um, and they've even said that to me going back and teaching there that, um, you know, they're obviously really happy to see a bit of a success story. But unfortunately, um, you know, it's not common that, you know, kids that were doing the things I was doing and going through what I was going through um, come out the other end and have a sort of, yeah so it's it's interesting yeah yeah so yeah it's interesting what you said like about just your approach now is getting to know the kids on a level and you know I grew up a pretty similar era to you maybe just a little bit earlier than you but if I look back at my experience as well it was very rare that teachers tried to get to know you on that personal level more especially someone that maybe was typically a more naughty kid or a bad kid it was usually the it kind of felt like it was the opposite it was like as soon as you were labeled the bad kid or the troublemaker or the one who wants to just rile up the teachers and shit them up the wall it was that's your label that's who you are all i have to do is just manage you and try get you to conform like you said minimize the damage yeah yeah. that's it and and that's it and i can think of several kids in primary school and in high school that at no point did they ever get I don't. I feel like no teacher went up to them and said, "Like, are you all right?" Or like, "How's things at home?" Or, you know, "What do you like to do?" Yeah, uh, it, it just didn't really happen. So, um, and and it sounds like your experience is very much the same. Um, so I don't know. Tell me what you think about that. Like that that label of you know the bad kid and start with that and then go from there <laughs> yeah so um the word that comes to mind with, with the labeling is shame i think um yeah it's yeah absolutely the old school attitude of um that the, the best way to you know discipline kids is to make them feel ashamed of what they're you know who they are and what they're doing at the time so they somehow you know magically turn around and go well you know i'm going to be good now um shame is pretty toxic um if anyone's read Brené Brown's stuff on shame and that sort of thing, um, it's pretty clear that that um, guilt and remorse are healthy. Um, they're what help us um, acknowledge that our behaviour um, has affected people around us and that we need to change our behaviour. But the shame is, is um, yeah, it's pretty toxic and it, it definitely, uh, it's what leads to, you know, pretty 
pretty horrible outcomes later on you know things like you know mental illness and depression and anxiety and um, drug addiction and alcoholism things like that yeah can you explain the difference between like shame and guilt and um, even humiliation I know this is stuff in Brene Brown but I'm sure you've had experience with this as well so just for um, a good reference yeah well yeah so yeah the, the, as I said, the guilt, the guilt and um, remorse is that is a healthy response to when we've when we've made mistakes because we all make mistakes, um, and it's a healthy response because it says like, yeah, you know, I, you know, I've done the wrong thing and it's affected this person, this yeah, person. Yeah, you've and, done something wrong. Yeah, there's, yeah. there's uh, consequences to my my um, behaviour. Um, where yeah, shame is that that it's not it's not the behaviour that's bad. It's me who's inherently bad. I do bad things because I'm a bad person. Um, and then, you know, obviously we, we don't want to feel those feelings and, you know, you, kids and adults who say, you know, well, I'm going to change, but that shame doesn't allow you to change. It's sort of that cycle. You do the bad thing, you feel really crappy about it, you feel like a bad person. And then, you know, life goes on, you do it again and it sort of, it keeps repeating. Um, and then, yeah, so I think what it comes down to and something I've always remembered when I when I teach kids and when I, as a coordinator, have to have tough conversations with with kids is, is I always say, you know, you are not the bad person or you, you are, you are not a bad kid. You've made a mistake. Your behaviors, you know, had a, you know, your behavior has consequences and, and yes, we need to change your behavior, but you, you are a good person. Yeah. Um, which definitely wasn't the case for me growing up, you know, especially, you know, again, I've got, um, my parents who had quite an old school attitude, you know, the way they were brought up and then at school, um, you know, even at footy and things like that, when I, you know, would get in trouble, it was, yeah, definitely not sort of communicated that way, um, which I would definitely say has had an effect on me growing up. Um, and how, yeah, as a teacher, I'm, yeah, really, really big on that. So it's it's the it's the behaviour that's the issue, not not the person or not the child. Yeah, often fine. Yeah, and you, th- you really think about it, like when, when a child is often getting shamed for it, um, like you sort of think of like your behavior as a child, how you sort of rebelled and fucked around and stuff. You're being shamed for it. So someone's trying to tell you that you're not a good person and that you're not worthy of, you know, as Brene Brown puts it, love and affection. You're not, a fir- yeah. uh, you're, not, you're not worthy of all these things that all the other kids are getting. Yeah. So I feel like especially as a teenager, when you're, especially a teenage male, they always, teenage males have a bit of like, usually have tickets of themselves, got a bit of that sort of immortality sort of feeling they kind of want to prove everyone wrong and, and do it in a way that, you know, so that, so yourself or whoever would search for other ways of someone kind of affirming that they are worthy of something. So yeah, whether it's mucking around or whatever, they're like, what's another way that I can get affirmation from people that I am worthy? Because I think, I feel like most teenage boys believe that they are worthy of love and affection and, and all those things, but they're being constantly shamed for whether it's teachers, coordinators, even parents. Um, so then to go, well, I don't really agree with you, so I'm going to keep finding other ways to yeah. get sh- to overcome that shame somewhere else. Yeah. And that might be, you know, rebelling through smoking or taking drugs or blowing up shit or, you know, lighting firecrackers. Getting, the, or, getting that, um, I guess, that affirmation from their mates and things like that, which was, yeah, definitely the case for me. Um, you know, I overcompensated with probably those those insecure feelings that I had, and I was cocky, I was arrogant, I you know rubbed people up the wrong way. Um, I wouldn't say I was intimidating, um, but luckily, you know, I think I had the gift of the gab, and I could um, talk my way through a bit. And um, it probably at the time, it was a defence mechanism, but it definitely didn't serve me 
very no. well. Um, and it's been interesting going to university and um, being humbled, being around people. You know, I was, again, like growing up in, you know, a pretty um, knockabout, you know, area where, you know, most of my friends, most of their families aren't academics, like, in fact, none. Um, so that was a really, really good experience going to university and, and having, seeing the world differently and seeing how, um, yeah, out of my own little bubble how they communicate and that's had a massive effect on the way I um, I guess me as a person and the way I interact with other people so I think I couldn't imagine what I would have been like if I didn't go to uni and became a tradesman I probably would have been still that arrogant um, you know sharp-tongued smart-ass that you know I still am in a lot of ways because I think that that's part of me my ability to connect with people but but for the right reasons so yeah yeah I definitely Agree. Like, this is totally opinion, but I think if the school structure supported children with ADHD and, and even kids on the spectrum better in primary school and high school, you'd probably see a lot more of those kids, you know, doing better in school, like, it's like yourself with maths and science. And I feel like they would absolutely excel at university because of the type of environment it is. I feel like a university environment would be really good for most kids like you, saw, like you said, that someone that once they've got that one particular task that they like, yeah, that interest, you yeah. focus on it and you go for it. And, and I love that university, like they've got such boundaries. They're like, you know, this is the behavior you accept and this is what you do, yeah, we don't yeah. accept. And if you don't live up to that, then we'll go away. Like, Yeah, correct. <laughs> and that was the probably that, the massive uh, wake-up call I needed. I did quite well at the end of year 12 and thought, oh, you know, look how good I am. Look how good I am at school. You know, again assuming that I'm the best at everything like I used to. Uh, got to uni and did a year of engineering at Monash and failed every unit. <laughs> the, the university didn't say anything other than an email saying, y- you've got one more chance and you're out. <laughs> That's it, yeah. So, yeah, it was oh. pretty, yeah, it was, it was a, um, you know, at the time it was horrible, but it was a humble, it was an experience I think I needed. Yeah, I too found my um, first year, my first semester of university very, like, eye-opening. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah it's um yeah interesting so um yeah well um okay back onto these onto onto kids and the kids you're working with now and that um and you sort of said that you know you always go to approach of like you get to know the kid and things like that and you know what are you trying to find out to help that kid um see what makes them tick really uh but then also it doesn't take you know a behavioral psychologist understand that the best way to um you know leverage a relationship and and get what you want from a person and they get what they want from you is when you have that mutual um mutual respect and mutual understanding and so a lot of it is me finding out you know what are their hobbies what are their interests what 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 do they like what are their what are the things that motivate them what are their triggers um and you know it's all just data collection for me where it's just going to help me you know, teach them and, and educate them, which is ultimately the goal. Um, when I do that with all, all students, like I do, you know, obviously tend to gravitate towards the, the ones, uh, the misunderstood ones and the ones, you know, the, the behavioural issue kids. Um, but but all, all my students, I think, like I really make a big effort um, earlier in the year to find out what it is um, that, you know, find out who they are. And then that that's sort of my way of, you know, throughout the year constantly, you know, even little things like, a, you know, got a couple of girls in my class that play soccer and every Monday I ask about how they went on the weekend and if they kicked any goals or if they won and 
um, yeah, a couple of boys that play rugby as well. It's like they're, they're my conversations every every Monday um, that help sort of set the week up. And, and, you know, again, it's, I guess, the words relationship leveraging. Um, and, yeah, and I think, you know, it, you would you would go into my class and I'd, I think you'd see that the kids are pretty comfortable, um, which, you know, the research sort of there is that uh, kids kids who are uh, uncomfortable or, or a little bit fearful, even just that little bit, if you've got a, you know, a teacher that, that rules... Um, with an iron fist or sort of goes in with that that old school attitude of you know you're you're just going to be quiet and submit um then that even there's that little bit of angst that you don't want to do anything wrong can, can is a barrier to to them being able to learn um whereas i know that people who are comfortable um and and relaxed uh, are much more able to um yeah learn essentially so and i think the research is pretty clear on that so that's the other reason as well. Um, it's yeah, making them feel as comfortable as they can in, in my presence, and and a lot of that, you know, what what's helped is teaching at Cranbourne is going to Cranbourne. A lot of these kids, you know, are smart asses and um, like to banter, and so you know that that's my ticket in, especially with some of the kids that have their wall up, and that's um, you know they they you know kids will try on at the start of the year, and you just banter with them, and very quickly go, oh, no, he's all right, and all of a sudden you know you got that relationship there and you you have you know it's not perfect it's not like the the, the most perfect recipe to you know it's, I still have behavioral management issues I still have issues where you know kid, kids you know lose interest and and um you know motivation things like that but it definitely goes a long way um to to helping get them to where you know ultimately our job is to educate them and I think that for me is what helps me get them there so yeah awesome um yeah and it, it, yeah it's not that much like there's there's just that little difference between just you just get to know about the kids and like you said just collect some data on the kids or you don't and if you yeah. just collect that bit of data then you're highly more likely to get what you want out of the kids yeah whereas i don't think teachers in the past one maybe knew that that was a thing that they should do or two thought that they should they just want to get the you know, teach what they need to teach, get the curriculum done and, and get yeah, it out there. Yeah, I think so. I think, um, the, yeah, the old school attitude. I mean, you get the old school attitude is the you know, behavioralist theory of um, you want kids to do it. You, you sort of threaten and punish to get them to do what, what you want them to do. Um, sort of like dog training. Um, essentially, it's the same theory. I think it's Skinner is the yeah. behavioral psychologist who coined all that. But we've moved towards... Uh, the fancy term is uh, social constructivism and that's that um, we learn through experiences and through social experiences and and that's best done when we're all happy and comfortable and willing to be in each other's presence so yeah Um, and so we're not um, just ragging on teachers because that's not fair a lot of teachers are great do you think that a lot of it comes from just the fact that teachers can be put under a lot of pressure to help oh, deliver massively. scores and deliver yeah. things to to the school and to you know the vic, you know schooling rah, rah, rah. yeah hundred um, percent so a lot of it is um, rather than so the the department's got a bit of a, a habit and this hap- actually I should say this happens a lot in america u k Australia um, where instead of removing things from our already um, you know busy jobs to replace with uh you know best practice we just keep adding we say okay we're not going to change anything we're just going to keep adding and adding and adding and as yeah i'd say most teachers um, especially at government schools that are um under-resourced you know there's we're under a lot of pressure 
Um, we have a lot of things that we need to concentrate on. Like I think the you know, best analogy for a teacher is it's like having a web browser with, you know, 50 different tabs. Um, and that, that means that, you know, it's sort of like you're doing a lot, but are you doing it well? Um, I know a lot of teachers that don't have a lot of job satisfaction because they're busy, but they're not feeling um, fulfilled or not feeling like they're, they're able to do a, as good a job because they are so busy. Um, and I've definitely experienced that as well. Um, so for me, it's like almost teaching against the grain. It's almost like forcing myself to, well, what are the things I really need to focus on? And what are my priorities as a teacher? Um, which, you know, I've, I've neglected some of the, um, the department things in the past, not, not all the time, but because I know it's important that I need to focus on, on wellbeing and I need to focus on, on, you know, making sure the kids are, are going okay. Um, so then we can get back to learning and then they're more efficient when they are learning rather than just constantly, you know, trying to you know, yeah. dra- drag them along. So yeah, it's that fear of like, well, I've got, they need to do this. They need to get this done. They need to know this. They've got this test coming up and then they've got a sack and then they've got the exam. They need to get all of this done in the next six weeks. And I need to try get on, on par with them as well yeah. and get to know them and, yeah, and all that. When we know, and the science says like, get to know them first and that stuff will become easy. Yeah. But you're under the pump. Yeah, massively, yeah. So it's definitely, um, you know, not not here to criticise teachers um, and to think that my way is the, the only way. Um, it's just something that because of my own experience and what certainly did not work for me, um, you know, that this is my response to that and, and it's serving me and my approach and my style really well. And when when teachers, you know, especially graduates, when they see the way I go about it and they ask me sort of, how, what, why I do what I do or how I do it I'm really sort of almost a bit nervous to say you try it because this is really unique to me I and and really unique to the way you know me going to Cranbourne and deal you know being that kid and so you know I, I wouldn't so, some of the ways I joke around with the kids and some of the ways you know I interact with the kids like from the outside looking in sometimes you probably think like is he just being brutal you like it's Ted, not you like Ted Lasso yeah yeah it's just like <laughs> no I'm just just the, the kids um the kids learn about me really quickly. Like that's the other thing. I'm learning about them, but I'm always sharing about my interests and my hobbies. And, um, you know, I feel like... Well, you can't have your wall up if you're wanting them to get yeah, their wall correct. down. So yeah, correct. So I definitely, um, definitely, you know, show who, who I am to the kids. And, um, and yeah, and I feel like I've been really good. I mean, because I've got you know, so many different interests and so, and it, or maybe I'm not interested in it now, but being part of ADHD is you end up being super interested in something for like two, two months and then you just forget about it and then you don't care about it anymore. But because I've done that so many times with so many different things, every kid I can have something in common with, which has been super beneficial. Um, but yeah, so um, there's there's sort of the, the, the written rules of what teachers should be doing um, and, and how we should be um doing our jobs but then there's a lot of it like teacher i think you know i used to say i think i wrote an essay once i read it it was fancy teaching is a science and an art you know so the science stuff is the sort of the non-negotiables the best practices but the art side of it is you're an actor you know you get to get up there and um yeah you need you need to put on i wouldn't say i'm acting i think i'm being my genuine self but but you know you definitely it takes more work than just yeah exactly it it takes that little bit extra it's like taking a gym class like I could just go this is the workout this is how you do it off you guys go but you might not get the same response out of the the members in the class doing the workout whereas if you sort of yeah it's just being on that little bit more being like you know presenting with that bit of energy or enthusiasm or care or 
Yeah, I've whatever it is, definitely noticed it. Like over the over the years, especially my first year when I was very stressed being a grad. That's a very overwhelming job to be thrown into. Um, again, like when when you don't know the processes and you don't know, um, you know, the, the school's got their way of doing things. The department wants you to do certain things, and you got to do your VIT, and then you got to teach, you know four classes 25 kids that's 100 kids um and you you know you're very overwhelmed and i remember you know that stress was getting to me and i was obviously quite overwhelmed and it was clearly coming out in the way i was teaching and when you're negative and you're coming in not in a great mood like it, it, the kids see it and it, they feed off it and then it puts them in a negative mood and i think probably parents can can relate to that really well and so um that's something that's also in the back of my mind is it's i sort of use the 80 20 rule it's 80 percent you know, positive and, and supportive and 20%, you know, I still, ultimately kids are kids and they're going to push the boundaries and I need to remind them of those expectations and boundaries. Um, but but if you go too far the other way, um, yeah, the, the kids feed off it and you, you really, it's not a fun job. Yeah, that actually will roll us really well into that parent side of stuff. I want to chat about that. So obviously the last year and a bit, tons of remote learning and look if we're being honest here we're probably two more lockdowns till christmas so it's going to happen again yeah. <laughs> um parents are dealing with this a lot more um dealing with whether it's trying to help teach their kids at home um but even just to help get a better understanding of um how the kids are going at school or how we can help um kids out uh, and like you were just sort of start mentioning there like when you're off or you're feeling tired and stressed and whatever, you know, you end up giving it to your school kids and they cop that stuff. So parents as well, when we're stressed and under the pump and especially at the moment through COVID and stuff, there's all that stress and uncertainty, anxiety of, you know, have I got a job next week? <laughs> you know, um, how am I going to get money or am I going back to work? Do I have to do remote learning? Is the gym going to be open or is it going to be shut again? All these sorts of things mean that we have our own anxiety. We're having discussions about it all the time. And I'm always very conscious of like my daughter being in the room when people are talking about what's going on in the news. Yeah. Because I sort of, you don't want her to not know about it, but I don't think she needs to know all the nitty gritty of it. And especially when adults are having very like doom gloom kind of conversations about it. I'm like, I don't, and kids hear everything. Yeah. We always make this Little joke sponges. like, yeah, like how, like there's in, in, you know, Monsters Eek Roz where she's like, I'm always watching. We have this joke that Harper is always listening yeah. and she'll even say it. She'll be like, I'm always <laughs> listening. And every now and then she'll like come to me and be like, Hey dad, you know how I'm always listening? Well, I heard you talking about this the other day. <laughs> and I'm like, fuck. So, like, they'd pick up on yeah. the way we are feeling as well. And then parents are trying to try to teach their kids. Or I feel feel for parents that have kids struggling with ADHD or they're on the spectrum or whatever. And they're at home trying to do remote learning and it's just not working. Like, I know you've talked to me about a few strategies and stuff that you worked on. Um, but, yeah, start anywhere you like. Let's try to give some advice on that. But, like, how are you sort of helping manage it from your side? And then we'll talk about, you know, the parent side as well because it's fucking hard. Yeah, it is. It's um, from a – I mean, again, I've, I mean, I've, we had our first uh, baby recently, so I don't, I don't know what it's really like for parents. I do know that it's extremely challenging and I've, I've had a lot of conversations with parents at school um, over remote learning um, who have – yeah, it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to, to get the kids – doing what what they should be doing 
Um, but I think, you know, back to, you know, what I do, the first and foremost, mo- the most important thing is, you know, are, are you supporting their well-being and, su- and that sort of thing? I think that's the most, mo- absolute most important thing that, that that's, are they getting through this and going to come out the other end? You know, we're all going to come out the other end affected, but um, are we cushioning the blow, I guess? And then, and then once we're out of it and we have a bit more certainty, are we able to then build ourselves back up again? Um, I think that, that, that's the most important thing. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of what you were saying, where, where kids, you know, kids do sort of know what's going on and they listen, and that's a really good opportunity to have those conversations with your kids. Um, but just be upfront and honest, and, and tell them how you know it makes you feel. Um, you know that that's really important about you know developing their emotional vocabulary. That if you're able to express how it's affecting you, rather than trying to, you know, you don't have to be the brave parent who doesn't you know, is immune to, you know, problems, you know, really communicate like this is what's happening. Um, you know, this is how it's making daddy feel, this is how it's making mum feel. Um, but, you know, this is what mum and dad are doing to, you know, look after ourselves. And, you know, that's why we take you on walks. That's why we do these sorts of things. Those conversations aren't going to hurt your children. They're not going to go to bed saying mum and dad aren't okay as long as you're being, you know, really, you know, obviously communicating, you know, well with them. Um, yeah, so, and then, you know, my, my big one, um, over this whole remote learning period and something that, you know, I've been making sure as a priority is the self-care um, and self-care for you and self-care for your kids and doing it together and doing it separately and, um, you know, small things, going for walks and things like that. Um, you know, I've been really, really big with my pastoral care class, my year eights, actually all my classes, including my year 12s, is, you know, once we've finished our call, get out of the house, go for a walk, do something different um get off your screens um recharge and and come back um you know yeah definitely um especially when it's those when you when you remind them like i'll say to my kids at the start of a start of a remote learning lesson like you know we're going to work for half an hour and then i want you to get up and go get a drink and stretch your legs and then come back and then sort of those those cues and those um you know almost prepping them for for it they're more likely to buy into it um and then I guess it's it's hard, but then, um, you know, one of the things I've found helps with my students online and probably will, probably would help at home is, um, you know, setting small goals. Like, don't look at it as the whole day that they need to get through. They just need to get through a period at a time or an hour at a time. Or, they, you know, if they're in primary school, they've just got to do this little bit of maths and then a little bit of English. And then it's just, just one thing at a time and then get them up and then do something else. And then it's another thing. And it's just... Um, it's it's so overwhelming if you look at it as I've just got to sit in front of a laptop for for a day or you know I've got to do this for a week and um, yeah so I'm really really big on on my kids and I you know every morning we do form assembly and th- pretty much that is my my excuse to say to the kids like all right you know another day you know what are we you know what are we doing right now have you had some breakfast have you gotten dressed are you out of bed make sure you're out of bed because that's not going to help your situation um, and and yeah so. Again, none, none of these are perfect, but I think constantly communicating with my kids about the importance of, you know, actively doing things to look after themselves and the, the constant reminders. Um, yeah, I, I think um, my kids have gotten a little bit better. This remote learning really did a number, I think. Like at the start, I, I you know, across the board at our school, and I think would be the same at other schools. The kids were just like, again, no, nah, we're not doing it. But slowly my my classes have um have started engaging a bit more which is good and very glad that we're back tomorrow yeah. um, 
Yeah. yeah. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know if that's. Yeah. I don't know if that's. There is no easy fix or perfect answer. So I, it's just like, um, it, it's a grind. Yeah, I love that you it's my priority, tell. I suppose. Yeah, you were telling me the other day that you sort of check in and, um, and it was to do with their emotional vocabulary that they that ugh, even as adults we don't often we sort of struggle to express how we're sort of feeling. So tell me about that. Tell me what you, and I actually used it myself with our footy group and that because I thought it was really effective. But what, what, what you did it with your footy girls, I think. Yeah. But, but yeah. it's, you, you've got these little, they're not really tricks, but um, they're, they're ways to help kids express themselves when they don't know how. So yeah, open-ended questions are sometimes hard, hard for kids, especially when, when it's about how they're feeling. Um, so if you say to a kid, you know, how are you feeling? It's, you know, generally good, bad, sad, really simple sort of sort of things. Um, and so when you give kids um, options, they're more likely to choose one of the options, which then you can then say, oh, okay, why are you feeling that certain way? Or like what, you know, you, you can sort of, it, it sort of sparks a bit of discussion. Um, and so, yeah, definitely do it with, with my class rather than just saying, you know, um, you know how are you how are you feeling today? I, I give them a bunch of options, um, you know, yeah, especially in their language. Like a lot of kids, you know, they, meh, meh is a good one. M-E-H, like, yeah. are you feeling, you know, you're feeling, you know, great and you're, you know, able to, you know, you're motivated and you're feeling like you want to, you know, you can tackle the day and, you know, whatever. Or, you know, I'm feeling okay, mo- unmotivated, but I'll do it just because I have to. Or, you know, I'm feeling meh, I'm feeling flat, you know, those sorts of things. And the kids you know, the buy-in is a lot better then. Um, and so if you're wondering how to, I guess, gauge how your kids are feeling, think about, um, you know, what are some words they might say or they, they, they're definitely familiar with or they might know and, um, you know, come up with a, a few different responses that they can choose from. And then once they choose the response, then there's a discussion point and there's that thing that you can elaborate on. So I did that with my the girls that I'm assistant coach for. Um, you know, we were sort of struggling to get, get them to, to engage on the Facebook page. And as soon as I put up, you know, the three options, you know, I'm feeling really good, feeling motivated, nothing's changed. Second one was, uh, you, know, un, you know, not really a uh, bit flat, but still able to, you know, get on with it. And the bottom one was, you know, just not feeling good at all. And yeah, most of the girls chose two, some chose a three. Um, and all the girls just started commenting on each other's and, and, you know, love heart reacts and messaging each other. And, um, which is exactly what you want. It's sort of the, you know, everyone sort of feels like, you know, that old cliche, you know, we're alone in this, but those sorts of things are really good at making the other kids see that, you know, we're all being affected by this in different ways. And that's cool. And the best part about, you know, when we are all communicating about it is, A, it's sort of, we're being a bit vulnerable with each other, but we're also then able to uh, get around each other. And yeah, that's, I definitely know with, with um, you know, at school, kids are, um, the culture of the classroom um, is, for me, is what you know really dependent on them being vulnerable with each other early, um, and the connect. Once those connections are built, it doesn't matter if it's you know a popular kid or a kid who you know generally you know mucks around in class. Once that connection's built and they've connected on an, almost an emotional level, the culture of the room is much better, and the culture of a team is much better. And I think there's a lot of research with AFL clubs and things like that where you know they really are upfront and honest and and, and vulnerable with each other because it just it means that they're a much tighter group. And when you're you know think that there's so many good um, positive I guess uh, consequences of, of doing those sorts of things. So yeah, 
Mm. Absolutely. I love that stuff. I could talk about that stuff all day. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so I think, yeah, definitely when it comes to like advice for for parents and that, like you were just saying there, like we often feel like we're alone in that and what we're feeling or the kids feel like they're alone. Both the parents and the kids feel like they're alone in it. And when maybe all it takes is just to communicate that. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I mean, obviously the, 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 the goal is that eventually, you know, we our kids grow up to be, you know, good at sharing, you know, how they're feeling and having healthy emotional regulation and blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. But, you know, from you've got to sort of teach them that. And so if you teach them good vocabulary, like, for example, you know, even if it was at the dinner table or, or you know, at the end of the school day, um, you know, a bit of a rating system where they, you know, choose uh, one, two, three, four or five and, and you've sort of come up with those statements, um, you talk about it, talk about, you know, what's triggering that, you know, what's something we might be able to do differently tomorrow to help you feel a little bit more motivated um, that, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of this isn't you know anything new or anything groundbreaking but it's just putting a focus on how they're feeling and also giving them lots of different ways to express how they feel and that's what leads to you know adults being much better at um communicating how they feel and um yeah leads to much better outcomes so yeah love it good um i reckon that's it mate thanks so much for coming on and chatting about that stuff i think um it's going to resonate with a lot of parents the amount of conversations we have with parents even here at the gym who have got either kids that are doing great or kids that are literally like slamming the door on their parents telling them like f off and they just go play playstation all day because they can't handle it yeah and they really struggle to understand why like and and just to sort of have some sort of advice and things to go okay well they're doing this not because they're just angry nasty shits they're struggling too or you know they need to find common ground with you or their teacher or whatever and if we can find that ground then we might be able to move forward and and help them not feel like they have to lock themselves in their room every lockdown and yeah (laughs) not talk to anyone so yeah thanks so much for coming on Um, yeah that was a lot of fun once again love these topics if anyone does um yeah want to know more about this sort of stuff there's so much info out there you know books people like Brene Brown is fantastic and I, I pretty much reference her most weeks um who else is fantastic on this um carol dweck and yeah carol dweck um, mindset grit yeah grit by angela duckworth um the resilience project um fantastic yeah his which his book is there actually use a lot of his strategies yeah yeah a lot of his strategies are fantastic so if you don't know the resilience project get into that i had another one on top of my head but i've now forgotten it so it doesn't matter um, but those are your, your definite go-to resources. But also, chat to Jesse. Reach out to him. Yep. He'll, he'll be more than happy to help you. Always. Won't shut up. <laughs> no, he won't. <laughs> Until now. Thanks, mate. No worries. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to the Valor Fitness Nutrition Mind podcast. My name is Stuart Cunningham. If you enjoyed the episode, please send us a like, send us a comment, share it with a mate, give us a rating on the iTunes or whatever you're listening to this on. Every little bit of support helps. Looking forward to bringing you some more stuff next week.